Hi, we're here from Curiosity.com to help you get smarter in just a few minutes. I'm Cody Goff. And I'm Ashley Hamer. Today, you'll learn about how agricultural experts make new types of apples, why a tiny dwarf planet has a giant ice volcano, and why space matters with former NASA rocket scientist Kevin J. DeBruin. Let's satisfy some curiosity. Have you ever noticed how many different types of apples you can buy? There are striped ones and freckled ones and ones with names like Jazz and Pink Lady and Honeycrisp. Well, it turns out that it takes agricultural experts a long time to breed a new apple. As in, each variety takes more than a decade to come to, wait for it, fruition. Ha ha! In fact, the Honeycrisp apple took more than 30 years to create. So let's talk apple breeding. When breeders want to cultivate a new apple, they're usually after specific traits like juiciness, hardiness, or overall flavor. If they want to create a tasty apple with red instead of white flesh, for example, they'd start with an apple that already has red flesh, but for whatever reason doesn't have the other qualities they're after. Then they'll cross that apple with a different apple that does have the traits they're looking for by pollinating one variety's tree with pollen from the other. And that pollinated tree will produce apples that have seeds that will produce a new kind of apple, hopefully with the right traits of each parent. That process happens on a massive scale, often many times over. Tens of thousands of those seeds are planted, and four or five years later, they produce fruit that breeders look at to find the highest quality apples from the crop. They repeat the crossbreeding process until they get what they're going for. But the journey isn't over yet. Once they have the apple they want, breeders take a cutting or a bud off of the tree and graft it onto a rootstock, the roots of another apple tree selected for its growing ability. It could take 10 years to get to this point, and even then, breeders might find something about the apple that makes it unsuitable for mass consumption. So the next time you bite into a delicious apple, remember that every bite has decades of history behind it. Want to hear the weird story of a giant ice volcano on a tiny planet? Of course you do! So let's talk about the dwarf planet called Ceres. It's the largest object in the asteroid belt between Mars and Jupiter, but it's not exactly huge. Ceres has a circumference of a little less than 2,000 miles, or just under 3,000 kilometers. For perspective, if you took a road trip down the east coast of the United States, the same distance on Ceres would mean you've circled almost the entire planet. On top of that tiny little planet, there's a relatively gigantic mountain called Ahuna Mons, and it's almost half as tall as Mount Everest. And a new study suggests that mountain may have been formed by a special bubble. Yeah, a bubble. For some background, NASA sent a spacecraft called Dawn to collect a bunch of data on the dwarf planet between 2015 and 2018. Dawn made some neat discoveries on Ceres, including finding a bright white kind of snow that came from icy volcanoes. The leftovers from these eruptions were hydrogenated sodium carbonate or ammonium-containing clays, which freeze immediately after they eject. Early in Ceres history, a bubble formed in its insides from a combination of salt water, mud, and rock. And this bubble created a pressure point at the surface, then eventually pushed through and started building up layers in space. And those layers became a huge icy mud volcano that today we know as Ahuna Mons. And by the way, cryovolcanoes are not unique to Ceres. Several moons of Jupiter and Saturn also have these icy eruptions, and we think Pluto probably had some structures formed in this way as well. 
It goes to show that you can't take anything for granted when exploring space. It just keeps on surprising us. Today's episode is sponsored by Purple Mattress. Here's a question. How did you sleep last night? Did you spend the night tossing and turning? I know I have in the past, and losing sleep is no fun. The quality of your sleep affects the quality of your daily life, and if you are struggling to get a good night's sleep, you've got to try a Purple Mattress. The Purple Mattress will probably feel different than anything you've ever experienced. It uses a brand new material that was developed by an actual rocket scientist. So it feels unique because it's both firm and soft at the same time. Yeah, it's not like the memory foam you're probably used to. This mattress keeps everything supported while still feeling really comfortable. When you order, you'll get a 100-night risk-free trial. If you're not fully satisfied, you can return your mattress for a full refund. It's also backed by a 10-year warranty with free shipping and returns. You're going to love Purple. And right now, Curiosity Daily listeners will get a free Purple pillow with the purchase of a mattress. That's on top of all the great free gifts they're offering site-wide. Just text CURIOUS to 84888. The only way to get this free pillow is to text CURIOUS to 84888. That's C-U-R-I-O-U-S to 84888. Message and data rates may apply. If you've ever wondered why we care so much about studying space or why it matters that we found an ice volcano on a dwarf planet, then you're not alone. We get plenty of questions on social media wondering why space is so important. That's why we got in touch with today's guest, a scientist and space educator who has some pretty great insights into why we need space. Here he is. My name is Kevin J. DeBruin, and I am a former NASA rocket scientist. So space exploration and space technology... These things are literally in our everyday life. Like, they make life possible. We use GPS, we use credit cards, we all look at weather forecasts. But the main important thing is that without space technology, we literally die. And a lot of people don't know how important and impactful all of the things that are going on in outer space, the things that have been developed through the Apollo program to now, how that actually allows us to live safely and continue on living. So one of the stories I really like to highlight is a man named George Grace. So George Grace is an accomplished artist in Buffalo. And a story by Ivanhoe describes George's use of a cancer treatment known as photodynamic therapy, or PDT. So this treatment is actually medication that is activated by LED lights. And this LED activation technology stems from using LEDs to grow plants on the International Space Station. Now, this technology is also stemmed into wound healing and acne treatment. So George literally owes his life being cancer-free today to space technology that has been brought down here to Earth. The other story I'd like to highlight is two jazz artists, Clifford Brown and Richie Powell. Now in 1956, Richie's wife Nancy was driving the three of them overnight from Philadelphia to Chicago in the rain. Now, unfortunately, Nancy lost control of her car on the Pennsylvania Turnpike, going off the road and tragically resulting in all three of their deaths. Now, this is 1956, so this is before NASA started testing airplane tires landing on wet runways. They were looking to improve the tractions in 1966. So what they did is they put these grooves in the freeways. Now, I'm not talking about the rumble strips on the side of the road where if you're getting a little tired and you go off one way, it starts to rumble. No, these are the vertical lines that are going in your direction of travel. Just like the grooves in your tires, they decided to add grooves into the runways and that improved the airplanes landing in their wet conditions. 
Now that got moved over into everyday life, going in freeways and roads, and actually showed upwards of 85 to 95% reduction in freeway accidents. Now that is not to say that jazz artists Clifford Brown and Richie Powell and Richie's wife Nancy would still be alive today, but it would have given them a lot better chance at not losing control in the first place. So those are a couple stories of how literally without space technology, we can die. So space is in our everyday lives. Like software that kept the space shuttle flying makes our cars safer and improves running shoes. Sensors for exploring outer space help locate survivors after a disaster, specifically one called Finder. It's called Finding Individuals for Disaster and Emergency Response. It's literally something the size of a briefcase that can detect the human heartbeat in rubble and distinguish it from the heartbeat of a mouse. Some amazing technology that is literally out there saving lives coming from outer space. And the last one I'll highlight is earthquake shock absorbers. They come from dampers used during the space shuttle launches. And we see these in buildings in LA and Tokyo and other places around the world. So we can literally have earthquakes that would tear down buildings, but because these shock absorbers were put in from space shuttle launches, the buildings are able to maintain their structure. Literally without space, we die. Again, that was Kevin J. DeBruin, a former NASA JPL rocket scientist and space educator and former contestant on American Ninja Warrior. Yeah, he's super smart and super jacked. I have personally watched him climb a rock wall, and yeah, it's no joke. Hashtag squad goals, am I right? <laughs> anyway, you should follow Kevin on Instagram at Kevin J. DeBruin. He also recently gave a super awesome TED Talk about the topic he covered today, so check that out if you want to hear him get into even more details. We'll put links to all that and more from Kevin in today's show notes. Special thanks to Mohammed Shafaz and Dr. Mary Yancey for being executive producers for today's episode. Thanks to their generous support on Patreon. Join us again tomorrow for the award-winning Curiosity Daily and learn something new in just a few minutes. I'm Ashley Hamer. And I'm Cody Goff. Stay curious. On the Westwood One Podcast Network.